It's all right to get excited about God, you know. Can I hear an amen out there? Amen, yes. It's all right to get excited. Although I'm getting slightly worried because I had a bag here and it's gone missing. Oh, it's gone. It's over there. Ah, I need a volunteer. My name's Sai, by the way. Good to see you this morning. Can I have a volunteer to fire a Nerf? Oh, Grant, here you go. The Nerf gun challenge, Grant. So if you come over here, I mean, you can shoot Chris if you want, but... uh, uh, right, I'm going to put some figures up here. You've got to shoot down. So let's put one here. These are bad guys, you can see. They look like bad guys, don't they? There's one. There's the ultimate bad guy. Look at that. Very bad there. And there's another one. There we go. Okay, it's all right to cheer Grant on as well if you want. So, Grant, take it away. You've got six bullets. To get knock them over. Well, for being such a good sport, yeah, yeah, for being such a good sport, you can have a prize. What prize would you like? An apple? Oh, very healthy. Well done there. Well done. Very good. This requires some honesty now. Okay. All of you in the room who are parents or grandparents, If your children had a free choice as to whether they would have the apple or the chocolate, hands up, who would have chose the apple? Uh, Very very few. Hands up, which one of them would have chose the chocolate? Yes, that's the vast majority. Yeah, well, because you're in the minority there, Grant. Well done. Okay, let... Oh, Rachel was watching. I see, I see. (laughs) She's not just mum, she's... Your wife, and uh, yeah, I see, I see, yeah, very good, yeah. Um, what about honesty in the room for you, yourself personally, okay? Who here, no one's judging, you know, you're all right. My wife's not looking backwards, I know she's a nurse, but she's looking forward. She, uh, who here would have chosen the apple? A few of you. Who here would have chosen the chocolate? Yeah, the vast majority, the vast majority. I thought, I thought so. I'd have gone for the chocolate too. And clearly, Dunk enjoys a chocolate bar uh, as well. You see, despite knowing that long-term fruit is, is much better for us than chocolate, most of us would choose the latter because of the instant gratification that you get when you eat a chocolate bar or, or something sweet like that. And today's sermon... All links in, you see. Today's Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus addressing the issue of us not, in get, not getting distracted with temporary things, but focusing on things which are better, things that are eternally satisfying. You know, the 19th century bishop, Bishop Ryle, he, he says this about the passage we're going to read today in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Worldliness, that is, things of this world that uh, we're focusing on that are apart from God, that distract us from God, is one of the greatest dangers that beset the church, the hum- sorry, the human soul. It is no wonder that we find our Lord speaking strongly about it. It is an insidious, specious, plausible enemy. It seems so innocent to pay close attention to our business. It seems so harmless to seek our happiness in this world so long as we keep clear of open sin. And he goes on to say, 
Singleness of purpose is one of the great secrets of spiritual prosperity. God must be king. God must be king over our hearts. His law, his will, his precepts must receive our first attention. Then, and not till then, everything in our inner being will fall into its rightful place. You see, following Anna's message last week where she looked at um, trying to please your heavenly Father, focusing on that, Jesus moves on in this passage. He circles back round to look at storing up treasure in heaven. R.T. France says in his commentary on this passage that we're going to read, Matthew 6, verse 19 to 34, he says there is a clear continuity of thought between the idea of a secret heavenly reward in verse 1 to 18 and the subject of treasure in heaven. And there's two points I want to bring to you this morning as we look at the message of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the first one is that we need to be seeking the kingdom first. There's a firstness to it. And the second one is that seeking the kingdom requires faith. Okay, that's the two points I want you to take away from this morning. So let's turn to the passage. You've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And let's remember, this is God's word. This is, as Dunk said, I'm personally finding it so challenging as we're looking through the Sermon on the Mount, as I'm studying into it more, as I'm thinking about it. Just the words of Jesus are so challenging to us. So verse 19, chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. Literally, no one can be a slave to two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, cannot be a slave to both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Some great words there. So my first point, seeking the kingdom first. I don't know if you remember the parable of the sower that you find in Matthew chapter 13. There Jesus tells a story of a farmer who's going to sow some seed. The seed represents the word of God and its effect on people. And the farmer goes and sows a seed into four different types of soil as he's throwing the seed out. The first, and the soil represents people's hearts, uh, how they receive the word of God. The first falls along the path and it's quickly gobbled up by the birds. The second seed falls amongst the stones and it quickly dies. The third seed falls amongst the thorns and it grows up happily at first, but then the life of God gets choked out of it by the thorns. And then finally, some of the seed falls on the good soil and it grows and produces a good harvest for the farmer. Jesus says something very interesting, though, about the third seed. It should be there on the screen behind me. He says, there's a third type of soil, sorry. He says, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. My friends, is there ever such a warning so relevant to the church in the West today than this? Is there ever such a warning relevant to us, to you, today, as this verse, that the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and proves unfruitful. As Bishop Ryle so aptly warns us, none of us are immune to the cares of the world or the deceitfulness of wealth. When it comes to the things of God, you and I have only so much soil in our hearts. And if we allow other things to grow up alongside that or outside the purposes of God, they will ultimately stunt choke and quench the life and the fruit of God that he wants to produce in your life and in my life. They will, re- they will stop us producing fruitful work for God that can give us a rich, heavenly reward. In this passage today, Jesus addresses the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth By making it clear how we counteract them through the Holy Spirit's help, we can counteract them by laying up for ourselves treasure in heaven. And Jesus 
does this. He speaks to us by, first of all, addressing our heart in verse 19 to 21. He then goes on to address our focus in life. In verses 22 to 23. He then moves on to address what is the driving force of your life. What is or whom is your master in life, in verse 24. Jesus uses the word treasure deliberately, because whilst the context makes clear he's primarily addressing our finances, it's much broader than just money. It's things that are valuable, goods that are precious to us as well. And the key is not that you have them, but where are you looking to store them? Where are you looking to invest them? Here on earth or in heaven? A good question to ask yourself is, do you own your money and your valuables? Or does your valuables and your money own you? Do you own your money and your valuables? Or does your valuables and your money own you? You see, everything is given to you by God, the Bible makes clear. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? The answer, of course, being nothing. We've, nothing we've got. We didn't, we received everything. God decided where you would be born. He decides where you would live today. He's the one that gave you your abilities, your capabilities, your brain. He's the one that enables you to get the job that you've got or get into the school that you're currently in. All that you have, the Bible makes clear, is a gift from God to you. And the biblical view of your life and the things that you have is that you're a steward of them who will have to give an account, not an owner of them. God, he's the owner of all things. And Jesus is asking you afresh today and asking me afresh today, where are you laying up for yourselves treasure? In this passage, he warns us and he warned them to not be laying up treasure for ourselves here, but making sure we're laying it in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then you need to be laying up for yourself treasure in heaven. Amen? Amen. It's true. Now, how do we do that? My, uh, one of my children sort of thought, uh, he said to me, Dad, I thought that uh, what would happen is you would take some of your money, put it or valuables, put it in a bowl, and you just pray, Lord, it's yours, and it would sort of disappear up into heaven. Be uh, interesting if that, that did happen. It certainly would disappear if I turned my back on it, but uh, not necessarily going up into, in, into heaven. How do we give to God? Well, it's quite simple, really. Whatever you earn, whatever you receive through gifts, etc., is all being graciously given to you by God. And we should give something back of that to God. God. The Old Testament prescribes uh, a tithe, one-tenth of all that you've, uh, you receive from God we should give back. 
Interestingly, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they were so fanatical about this that even what they grew in the garden, their mint and their cumin and all that sort of thing, they would tithe back to God. Jesus picks this up in uh, Matthew 23, verse 23. And interestingly, he doesn't tell them off for doing that. Actually, he encourages them to continue doing that, thus, you know, sort of uh, backing up the principle of tithing. But he says to them, do that without neglecting the weightier matters of the law of justice, of mercy, and of faithfulness. In the New Testament, the New Testament age, whilst grace covers us when we fail to do what the law commands us to do, and actually we're free from that, the emphasis in the New Testament is the how much more has God given us. Therefore, how much more can he enable us to do through the power of his Spirit working in us? You see, my friends, we can so easily, and we do so regularly, look down on the religiousness of the Pharisees. And yet, we don't realize our own worldliness. So again, we can so easily look down on the religiousness of the Pharisees without realizing our own worldliness, particularly when it comes to this area of money, of our finances. Is there a firstness, if that's such a word, is giving money first in your, uh, your is giving to God first in your heart when it comes to your money and wealth? First, I like the word firstness. We're going to go with firstness. Uh, not firstiness, firstness. Is it first in your heart? Is there above everything else, when you receive money into your account, into your home, that desire that says, first, God, I'm going to give you X amount, whatever you've decided in your heart, back to the Lord. And what do you want me to do with the rest? And then, after that, you're free to buy and spend on this, that, and the other. Are you looking to invest in the kingdom of God? Or are you looking to improve your own kingdom here and now? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're new to this, uh, our idea of giving to God, then... It, all I can encourage you to do is to just start giving regularly to your local church, whatever uh, you, you decide in your heart, the, the amount that you'd like, like to give. And actually, God may also lay on your heart other Christian charities and ministries too as well. But the print, biblical principle is that you give the lion's share to where you're being spiritually fed, i.e. your local church. And then you can grow in this over time, grow in this grace of giving that the Bible encourages us to, that you can grow up to looking to give 10% or even exceed that as well, as grace enables you to do it. Knowing that as you do this, you are storing up for yourself a rich, eternal reward. Terry Virgo says, it's on the screen behind me, says this, giving has to do with the purpose of the heart. Prioritizing to put first the kingdom of God. God wants you to give what is right, not what is left. 
He's clever, isn't he, Terry? That's <laughs> why so I quoted him. So one practical way that Anna and I uh, ensure that we try to give God what is right, not what is left in our account, which is never very much, is that we have a standing order set up that the moment we get paid, the day that we get paid, the money that we've decided in our heart that's going to go to God goes out of our account so we don't even see it. It just goes over like that. And it's like, bye-bye. But that's because we want to give to God. We don't want God just to get what's left. We want him to get what we have decided as a couple is the right amount for us to give to him. There's a firstness in our heart on this. My friends, is there a firstness in your heart in giving to the kingdom of God? Giving of your finances is, is the main area, if you like, so that Jesus is addressing here. But the principle applies to all other types of treasures that God has given us. Hendrickson says this, if a person loves God, he will show this by being devoted to him, placing everything, money, time, talents, at his disposal, serving him. It is clear, therefore, that loving God is not merely a matter of emotions, but of the heart, soul, mind, and strength. My friends, what I'm saying is don't let the deceitfulness of wealth choke the life of God out of you in this area. The Apostle Paul is very clear in 1 Timothy 6, where he says, it's the most misquoted verse of Scripture, where it says a love, uh, money is a root of all evil, but actually what it says in verse 10 of 1 Timothy 6 is, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Invest your treasure in heaven, and your heart will be there also. And as you do that increasingly, you will see the futility of the temporary nature of the things of this world. The gift day coming up that Dunk mentioned is another fantastic opportunity for us in our own hearts, in our own home, where we're praying together with our husband and our wife, or by yourself, to, before God, assess and say, God, what can I give you on top of what I, my regular tithe? What, what, are you wanting, what does putting you first look like for me this year? How much extra can I sacrificially lay before you? William Barclay says this. It's a, um, he says this in his, his commentary. The possession of wealth, money, material things is not a sin, but a grave responsibility. And the truth is, we in the West, we're all in this uh, situation compared to the majority world. We, are all we might not think it, but we do possess quite a lot of wealth, money, and material things. It is a matter for prayer that we may use them as God would have us to do. And he goes on to say, a man can enrich his bank account at the expense of his soul. Let's be those people that enrich our souls by investing in heaven and ensuring our focus is there. Amen? Amen. So that's our heart. Now, when I was growing up, we had, we had two 
red setters that we got from Red Setter Rescue. When we got them, they had, because uh, they'd been rescued, they'd come from a terrible situation where they had been beaten and they'd been starved. They were missing bits of fur uh, in their hair and stuff because, um, uh, because they were so malnourished. And, uh, and so uh, at that time as well, as a family, it was three of us as kids, mum used to buy the big sacks of potatoes and keep them in the conservatory and would use them in a couple of weeks. Well, one evening, they were there in the kitchen, I heard my dad say, Annie, Annie, come over here. So, you know, being a child, I thought, oh, I'll go and see what he's telling mum to look at. It sounds good. And uh, we looked out the kitchen window to see that one of the red setters came along, put his head in the sack of potatoes, took out a raw potato, went off into the garden and ate the potato just like his brother had done before him. They were so used to scavenging and uh, begging for food that they were willing to eat raw potatoes. Within a, about a month, however, when they got used to having regular meals each day and the fact that us as kids, because we were terrible, we'd you know, feed them chocolate bars and all that, that sort of thing, that were really good for dogs, um, you know... That, I, I tell you, you couldn't get them to eat a raw potato. Eat, I tried, I got one. I said, there you go, you can, you can have it, Ben, if you want. They, 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 they weren't interested in raw potatoes anymore. They had tasted something much more satisfying. And their focus was now on things much better than a raw potato. And Jesus moves on from addressing our heart to our eyes, the focus in our life. And he says, get your focus of things that are temporary in nature, of raw potatoes, and get them onto things that are truly satisfying, that are truly good for you. If the focus of your life is on God and on the kingdom of God, then your life will be filled with good things, the good things of God. But if you allow the focus of your life, the focus of your eyes, to be distracted onto things of a worldly nature, then you're going to allow yourself to be filled with darkness. And you can so quickly spiral out of control. William Barclay says this. He says, If all through his life, a man's eyes on eternity, then he will evaluate lightly the things of this world. Jesus never said that this world was unimportant, but he said and implied over and over again that its importance is not in itself, but in that which leads, in, in, sorry, in that to which it leads, i.e., eternity heaven. Let's make sure that our heart, our focus is on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. For in reality, wherever our heart is at, wherever our focus is on, reflects who is in the driving seat of our life. It reflects who or what is our master in life. God or money. Or it could easily be God or pleasure. God or power. God or yourself. Or something else. 
You see, if you surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've made him your Lord and Master, then you need to live for him, being obedient to him, focusing the attention of your heart on Jesus, living for him. Rick Warren says this in his book, A Purpose Driven Life, which is the best-selling book in the world, by the way, apart from the Bible. It's, it's that influential. It, he says this, right in the opening chapter, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. You see, if God is your master, Jesus is clear, then you're called to live for him and live to please him. And how much you are willing to submit to him and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness requires and depends on faith. Faith in God, faith in his word, faith in the daily practical things of life. And this leads me on to my last point, that the seeking the kingdom of God requires faith. You see, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness as a driving force of your life, choosing to focus on the things of eternity, not the things around you, and choosing to lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, which you cannot see, rather than storing up for yourselves treasures here on earth, which you can see, requires faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, for, the worry is, for if I put God first in my life, if I give to God uh, first, then how will I provide for all the things that I need? What about my food? What about my clothing? What about my shelter? How am I going to look after myself? How am I going to look after my family? How am I going to do anything if I'm not storing up for myself treasure on earth? You know, people can literally be crippled with anxiety over this when they don't know Jesus. And they're doing everything they get, they're keeping for themselves. How much more if you've got a master who is saying to you, I want you to put me first in all these areas. My friends, the truth is, Jesus will lead your life to a much better place than you or I ever could lead ourselves. Jesus will lead your life to a much better place. He will. You can trust him. You can take him at his word. He is reliable. And he tells us here to not be anxious about our life. He says, are we not of more value than birds? Will God not much more clothe you? Will he not provide for you? Oh, you of little faith. God is not indifferent to your needs. He made you. He made you a physical person. He knows your physical needs. And as you seek him, 
He will look after you. It says there, doesn't it, that verse, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these practical things that you need will be added to you. In other words, he will look after you as you seek him. The great theologian John Calvin says this, he who is fully convinced that the author of life has an intimate knowledge of our condition will entertain no doubts that he will make abundant provision for our needs. God will look after you as you seek him. John Stott says this about this passage. What Jesus forbids is neither thought nor forethought, but anxious thought. To be clear, when Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow, don't be anxious and seek first the kingdom of God, he's not ruling out making financial preparation for yourself. Actually, financial provision for the future, the Bible encourages it for yourself, for your children, and it says the, the good man and woman would even provide for their grandchildren. So it's not ruling that out. It's not ruling out the fact that our need to work. In fact, Scripture is very clear that we're called to work and to provide for ourselves and to provide for our family and to give to the work of God. Paul is actually very clear. He says in, uh, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 that if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. He's that clear on it because working is actually part of our calling, he tells us in, in Colossians 3. It's part of our calling before God. Actually, it's one of the ways that we can worship God is through working hard at our job unto the Lord. Jesus is also clear that you will face troubles in your life. He's not saying, look, seek me first and you're, not, you're going to have a trouble-free life. No, he tells us each day has enough trouble of itself. You're, you're going to face trouble in life as a, as a believer. God doesn't keep us from troubles. Jesus tells us in John 16, he says, in the world you will have trouble. And the actual word he uses is tribulation. You're going to have great trouble in the world. But he tells us not to be anxious here. And in that passage, in John 16, he says, But take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's why we don't need to be anxious. That's why we can give our worries, our concerns, over to Jesus. And in faith, trust him with those things that, that we all have areas that we worry about whether it be money and finances or other things, actually we can hand them over to God knowing that he will look after you and he will provide what you need. My wife's new friend, Martin Lloyd-Jones, as she told us last week, her, her good mate Martin, uh, he, he's, he's dead now, so I don't know how she knows him so well, but anyway, uh, he says this on this, this passage, on these two passages, in fact. He says, it is immaterial to Satan whether you are laying up treasure on earth or worrying about earthly things. All he is concerned about is that your mind should be on them and not on God. I'll read it again because it's quite powerful, isn't it? It is immaterial to Satan 
whether you are laying up treasure on earth or worrying about earthly things. All he is concerned about is that your mind should be on them and not on God. My friends, let's not be those people who get distracted from seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because in faith, we can trust our heavenly Father that he will provide for all your needs as you do that. You know, the author of life can be trusted with your life. The author of life can be trusted with your life. When you say that to the person next to you, the author of life can be trusted with your life. So in, in closing, and I couldn't think of a more apt way of closing this than just re-quoting verse 33 of chapter 6 in Matthew's Gospel, where it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Amen? Amen. Can I invite the band back up here? just going to pray for us generally that we would all be in that place where we seek first God's kingdom. But before I do that, I'm just aware that there may be some people here that don't know Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to God. You've come with a friend. You've come uh, just out of curiosity. And I just want to give you an opportunity. As I've been speaking, if you've been thinking to yourself, I've, I've not I've not sought first God in my life. I've not put him first. And I want, to, I want to put him first. I want to be right with him. Then can I encourage you just to pray this prayer along with me? Can I just ask everyone to uh, close their eyes and, and, and bow their heads? This is between you and God, if you're here and you don't know Jesus. And if you're there and you're saying, yes, I want to, I want to start living for God. I want, to, I want to put him first in my life. We don't do that by... Uh, doing lots of extra hard work or, or saying, right, yes, I'm going to start giving or start doing something like that. Actually, we do it by surrendering to Jesus. So just pray this prayer of surrender to him, if that's you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me enough to send Jesus to come to earth and die for me. Please forgive me of all that I have done that is wrong, that offends you. I surrender my life to you. Please help me live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.